If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and meet together in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll make my way there. As we meet together, we have been in this series on revival simply titled Revive Us Again. I firmly believe that our churches need revival. People say that our churches need this and our churches need that and all of these things, but our churches need revival, period, end of sentence. What our churches need more than anything else is not more transparency, is not uh, to have more programs for children or, or this and that. Those are great things, but the truth is, is that until God's people get serious about their sin and wants to be revived, our country is going to continue to be in the shape that it's in. And we are seeing things each and every day uh, unfold before our eyes, and we wonder truly um, what our nation, what the hope for our nation is. And uh, we have um, only one hope, I firmly believe, in my heart, is that either God's church will be revived in this nation and we'll see another great spiritual awakening, or we won't. And um, that's really, truly uh, our hope, uh, according to uh, what we're seeing around us. Our nation needs a great spiritual awakening. And um, we... We tend to think that our nation is far too gone, but I'm telling you that our nation is ripe for revival, the church is, and that our nation is ripe for a spiritual awakening. We have seen it time and time again in our country when we have been divided, when we have had problems, when we have just seen everything um, going uh, in, in a, a, a direction against God. God has revived his people. God has brought a great spiritual awakening, and it's truly what we need. Now, when we get in talking about revival, we've, we've been in this series for several weeks now, and um, we, we've simply defined revival this way, is that revival is a divinely initiated work in which God's people pray, repent of their sin, and return to a holy, spirit-filled, obedient love relationship with God. We, we chose that uh, definition from Henry and Richard Blackaby because it really truly encompasses all parts of revival. Every single thing that we see when revival truly takes place and revival truly takes place uh, in the life of the believer, this is truly what happens is that it's a divinely initiated work. In, order, in other words, it simply means that God is the one that brings revival. We can't muster it up. We can't try to, uh, uh, you know, just bring it up on our own with, with our own uh, ambition or our own initiative. It has to be divinely sent from God. And here is what uh, Henry and Richard has said about the pattern for revival. And this is what we've been preaching through each week. Um, and just kind of taking their pattern that we see in Scripture. But the truth is, is that this pattern that we see is, is kind of like a pattern for our lives as well as children of God. The first stage is simply God's people depart from Him. We talked about that several weeks ago about how sometimes we don't realize how far we've drifted from God until we wake up one day and we go, wow, we're far from God. It seems like God's word doesn't make a difference in our lives. It seems like God's voice uh, is being silenced. It seems like other things in our life have become louder than God. And we realize we've departed from him. And if we truly want to see revival, the second stage is simply this, is that 
after God's people depart from him, the second thing is that God disciplines his children. God will begin to discipline his children. The third thing is that God's people cry out for him. The fourth thing is that God's people repent or perish. And the fifth thing is that God's people, if they repent, are revived. And those are the five stages that we kind of walk through in falling away from God and departing from Him and then returning to this, what the definition is simply for revival, this holy, spirit-filled, obedient love relationship with God. And so, um, as as we get here and as we look through this, I want you to see some things. I want you to listen to the uh, 16th president of the United States and a quote that he gave after um, uh, the Civil War. This uh, President Lincoln believed that we were living under the hand of God's judgment. And uh, this is what he said in a March 30th, 1863. He says this, He says, it's rather lengthy, but just listen. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God and all the affairs of men and of nations, has by a resolution requested the President to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions, and humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which persevered us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this my proclamation designate and set apart Thursday the 30th, day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day 
from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. Boy, that is a uh, far cry of what we hear coming out of the Oval Office today. See, Lincoln realized that even though our country was going through something, it could be God's judgment. It could be the fact that God's people had turned from him and started departing from him and that God was beginning to judge the nation. Now, there's three forms uh, three categories when we look at this, this uh, area of revival when we simply would say that God begins to discipline his children. The first thing is God's discipline. I want you to write that down. God's discipline. Now God's discipline is used for reform and repentance. God will begin to chasten or discipline his children and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's simply God's discipline and the actions that we need to, to take because of God's discipline. But there's a, a second category in this, and that's God's judgment. Now, God's judgment is used for punishment when his patience has run out on rebellion. So you have God's discipline for his children to help turn people back to repentance and to help them be holy. And then you have God's judgment for when they've hardened their hearts so much that God pours out his judgment. He can also pour out his judgment not just on unbelievers, but he can pour out his judgment on believers. Now there's a, a great heresy that goes around in the church that simply says, well, God will never judge his children. God will never pour out his judgment on his children. And the truth is, is that judgment always begins at the house of God. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, we see where God poured out his judgment on unbelievers at Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that God destroyed those cities because of they would not repent. They would, their rebellion had, uh, had come to an end, and God's patience with their rebellion uh, had come to an end, and he judged uh, their cities and their nation. We also read about Jonah going to the city of Nineveh, and when he preached, Nineveh began to repent, and God didn't judge them. So we see this for unbelievers. We also see God's judgment for believers. Now we see this in Joshua chapter 7 when Achan and his family were judged because they stole some things from the Lord. And God wanted to make them an example for the people around them of what not to do and what sin not to fall into. We, we see this exactly very early on as the children of Israel make their way, this new generation makes their way in the promised land. Now, go, to, go with me to the New Testament and look at Acts 5. We see this with Ananias and Sapphira. It, very early on in the early church, believers coming in, and Ananias and Sapphira had sold a piece of property, and they came back, and it wasn't that what they gave to the Lord. It was the fact that they had lied, that they had sold this piece of property, and they gave everything to the church, when as a matter of fact, they held back some things. God judged them on the spot. They were killed uh, immediately because God was using this to deter other believers from committing the same offense. So yes, God disciplines those he loves, but also when his patience with rebellion has run out on unbelievers and believers, he performs his act of judgment. 
There's a third category, and this is only reserved for those who have rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that's God's final judgment. And that will be poured out on those people. God's wrath will be poured out on those people who have rejected Jesus. They will appear at, at the great white throne judgment where the great and the small, no one will escape this judgment. God will stand and he will judge them and he will say, depart from me. The books will be opened. They will not be found in the book of life. And they will not be found having eternal life. And God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And he will cast them forever into a lake of fire and into hell where they will spend a conscious, eternal torment of suffering in hell for rejecting Jesus. So even though God's children will never face God's final judgment, it does not mean that God won't judge his children. Now, what I want to talk with you about this morning is simply God's discipline. See, if we break down these three categories, we would simply say this. Discipline comes as a loving response from a father who wants the best for his children. Judgment is for those who reject God's directives. And God's final judgment is, those, is for those who never yield to Christ's lordship. So that's kind of how we break down these categories. That's kind of how scripture breaks these down. So let's look at God's discipline. And we read about this in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And what we know about Hebrews chapter 12 is, is that we look at this, this book of Hebrews realizing that Jesus is greater than anything. And the, these believers were going through different things, uh, persecution and trials. And the author is writing both to believers and unbelievers. Uh, we see this, but in the midst of this in, in chapter 12, what we begin to see is that uh, they're, they're admonished to run this race. It, is to, in light of what they've seen and, and the faith that has been kept th throughout all of these Old Testament saints and, and, and different things, is just to run this race with perseverance. But in this race, there is a warning for us. It is to understand that we will be disciplined by our Heavenly Father. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading in verse um, 5. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands with which hang down and the feeble knees. 
and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Now, I want you to see five things in this passage, five truths that we must act upon. The first one is that discipline, God's discipline, should encourage us. God's discipline should encourage us. You say, well, how in the world would would discipline encourage me? Because it means this, guys, is that he is our heavenly father and we are his children. And I don't you don't go to the Kmart or the Walmart or whatever it is. And I know you want to. I know you really, really want to. But you don't go into to Walmart and look at somebody else's children and say, hey, get off of that. Hey, quit doing that. I mean, I know you want to. Right. But we don't do that. Why? Because they're not our children. So if we're disciplined by God, it means that we are His. He is our Father. We are His children. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. That, That shows that we are a part of His family. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He disciplines or he chastens and scourges every son he receives see so the first thing is that discipline should encourage us it means that God is not done pursuing us it means that we haven't hardened our hearts so much that God begins to use us for another purpose it means that God is still pursuing us God is still loving us and he is disciplining us because he wants something better for our lives so whenever we go through discipline, don't just think, oh man, God's mad at me. God's, God's completely done with me because this is coming into my life. No, it's simply because he loves you. Discipline should encourage us. The second thing I want you to see in this passage, here's another truth that you should act upon. Not only should it encourage us, but it should be a warning for us. See, Here's the thing that we don't realize a lot of time is that we have a responsibility as God's children to be obedient and responsive to him. See, when we talk about obedience, that wipes half of us out. Maybe more than half of us. Because we say, well, God, I'm going to be obedient in this part of your word, and I'm going to be obedient in this part of your word. But this part of your word, I'm, I'm not going to be obedient to that. And it's either all or nothing. And God will discipline us and chasten us until he purifies us and makes us holy and and to help us to understand what it means to walk in the spirit and to look more like him and to act like more like him and for him to live through us instead of us just trying our best now discipline should be a warning for us because here's the thing uh, look what he says in verse 5. He says, he says this, go back with me. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? So not only is it an encouragement for us that we are a part of the family, but also it should be a warning for us because simply we, we are God's children and we have a responsibility. Now, we sometimes when we were children, and we would be playing or we would be doing things on um, the, uh, you know, the playground or whatever it was. Uh, people would say to us at times, you know, um, 
get off of that or don't do that or whatever it was. And we would simply say, uh, you know, we wouldn't listen to them as much. Why? Because they're not our parents, right? They weren't our parents. But all it took was for my dad, he had this incredible whistle. And he would just whistle. And I would, I would stop whatever I was doing. I mean, I think cars stopped in traffic or something. But he, I would just stop whatever I was doing because it was my father's discipline. It was when he spoke, I listened. So it should be a warning for us not, and not only encourage us, but also be a warning in that we don't take it lightly. Look what he says. My son, in verse 5, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. So don't despise it. It should be a warning for us that God is trying to work something in you for your good. Now, the third thing is that I want you to see is that it not only should it encourage us, it should be a warning for us, but it should change our attitude. It should change our attitude. Sometimes when discipline comes into our lives, even as children, we didn't like it. We didn't like when we were disciplined by our parents. We didn't like when they were trying to produce something in us that we just couldn't understand at the time. We would tell them, you know, I don't like what's going on, yada, yada, yada. And my dad would always say, I'm doing something for you right now that you don't understand, but someday you'll thank me for it. And looking back on it, I can thank my dad for a lot of things and how he disciplined me. But, but our attitude at the time when we're being disciplined, we don't like it. Look, look at verse 10 in this text. Look at what he says in, in verse 10. Is he says this. He says, for they indeed for a few days chastened us. This is our, early, this is our earthly uh, parents and our earthly fathers. They indeed for a few days disciplined us as seemed best to them. But he, this is the Lord, for our benefit. That we may be partakers of his holiness. In other words, that we may share in his holiness. And this is what 11 says. And this is kind of our attitude towards it at times. Now, no discipline seems to be joyful at the present time, but painful. Right? We all could sit around for days and tell stories of our painful discipline. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So it, we should change our attitude. We shouldn't despise it because it's for our benefit and it's to make us holy. I never will forget um, reading something by um, Henry Blackaby. And he said this is that God's discipline is one of the most loving things a father can do. So, you know this, you don't love your children if you don't discipline them. You don't love your children if you don't, you know, they, they go to touch a stove or something that's hot, and you go, don't do that, no matter what it takes. I, I, I know the other day we were uh, at my uh, mother and father-in-law's house, and, and my uh, father-in-law had just um, grilled um, some hamburgers and hot dogs, and his grill was really hot. It's like one of those gas-fired uh, charcoal-type grills. And um, he, uh, it was just really hot, and my son was near it, and I was, like, blocking him from getting to it, and, and he didn't like it. And he threw a fit, and, and he would just sit down on the concrete uh, there on the sidewalk and just cry and just get mad. But I would not let him near that grill. Why? 
because I didn't want him to be hurt. And that's the same thing. When God is disciplining his children, it should change our attitudes to know that he loves us, that he cares for us. It's to make us holy. It's for our benefit. And we have to recognize the love of our heavenly father in his discipline. So don't just blow it off. Don't just minimize it. Don't just go, well, yeah, I know that, that God's allowed this into my life and I've kind of drifted from him and there's some hardships that's come in and all of these things, but I'm just going to kind of, you know, I, I'll just try to deal with this on my own. No, God is trying to make you holy. God is doing this for your benefit so that you can share in his holiness. Now, the fourth thing I want you to see in this text is that discipline not only should encourage us, it should not only warn us, it should not only change our attitudes, but it should produce endurance. It should produce endurance. Sadly, there are many people today in the world that when they face, as followers of Jesus, when they face any type of difficulty, they give up. They just say, well, you know, evidently, uh, my, it's just not meant for me. To, to live this, this Christian life. Or evidently God's forgotten me. God's forsaken me. God's done all of these things. But discipline should produce endurance. Look at what he says. Uh, go with me to verse 7. This is a command. This is an imperative statement in verse 7. Endure discipline. And if you endure it, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, what he's saying there is that all God's children are disciplined. All God's children are disciplined. And if you're not ever, if you've never faced the discipline of God, chances are you're not one of God's children. This is what he says in verse 8. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So this should produce endurance. Don't just give up when you go through difficulty. Don't just give up when you're facing God's discipline. Because God is producing something uh, that if we will endure... And that if we will just, uh, just hold on and hang on, God is producing something within us uh, that is for our benefit and for, uh, to make us holy and to bring Him glory and honor. So don't just, don't just give up. You know, there's so many people who just give up during discipline. I've heard people say things like, you know, well, if God would allow that into my life, then he must not be God. And the truth is, folks, is that when you say things like that, or that is your attitude about things, you have made God the negotiable one in the agreement. And the one that you truly love and the thing that you truly worship and adore, you've made that the non-negotiable. So think about that. Don't, don't allow discipline to just make you give up, but allow it to produce endurance. And, you know, don't, don't just give up on God because difficult circumstances come to your life. Stop and ask, God, is this your discipline? Or maybe you're under spiritual warfare. Maybe you're under attack of the enemy. And uh, I'm going to talk about that next week of how we can know the difference in part two of this message. But here's the thing, is that we don't need to just give up and just throw our hands up and say, well, I'm done. Because discipline should produce endurance. And finally... I want you to see this last thing in the text. It's simply discipline should strengthen our relationship with our father. Now, I know that my dad did some things that I would look back on and go, you know, I don't understand why you're doing that. But today I do because I'm a father. 
and it strengthened our relationship. And when I began to obey his discipline, and when I began to, you know, take this responsibility of being my father's son and saying, okay, now I'm going to, it encourages me that you're disciplining me, Dad, because it means that you love me. But also, I know that I have a responsibility to be obedient to you as a warning for me, and I changed my attitude about it, and I didn't just give up and say, Dad, I'm out of here, I'm done with this relationship. It began to help build things into my relationship with my father, that our relationship over time just grew stronger because I realized how much he loved me. Look what he says in verse 12. Now, when you see this, because this is the final thing in this passage, that discipline should strengthen our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Look what he says. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Well, what in the world does that mean, Zach? It means this, is that when we face God's discipline and we don't just look at it and we don't despise it and we don't treat it lightly and we don't uh, give up and that we understand that he loves us and that we have a responsibility, is that God's discipline, when we are obedient, it helps us begin to exercise spiritual muscles that we didn't know were weak. It helps us to begin to run this race. Because remember, Hebrews 12 is all about running this race. And so he gets here and he says this. This is what the author is saying. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. God wants you to be healed, not have to break you. God wants you to give in to his discipline so that you begin to exercise So that you begin to exercise these spiritual muscles you didn't know were weak. Discipline helps you see how you have neglected certain areas in your relationship with Christ. Because when we begin to realize that we've drifted from him and we've departed from him, his discipline brings us back around to see how far we have departed from him and how far we have drifted from him. So think about these things when we're facing God's discipline. Because number one is when we go through discipline, it doesn't have to be painful. God may discipline us by allowing us to not have a prayer answered immediately when we want it answered. I can tell you this, that that Kara and I faced God's discipline when we were uh, trying to, to have children and we walked through infertility because God was producing something within us that if he would have just answered us and he did not make us wait and he didn't discipline us, we would not be the people of prayer that we are today. We, have not, we would not have understood the value of prayer that we understand today. See, God was disciplining us. It wasn't just something painful in our lives, but he was allowing us to wait. We were going to have to use patience. We were going to have to endure and trust God through this time. So think about that as we go through the Lord's discipline. God disciplines his children. That should be an encouragement to us. But also it should be a warning for us that we have a responsibility and that we need to be obedient to him. It should change our attitudes to know that he doesn't want the worst for us and he's just not out to get us, but that he loves us and he's making us holy. It should also help us to endure and that we should stick by the Lord. Knowing that through this time, even though we don't understand what we're going through now, is that we either believe Romans 8.28 where he is working together all things for our good. Or we don't. And when we endure, we begin to see on the other side what God was trying to produce through us. 
And it should also strengthen our relationship with him so that when we come out of this whole discipline and we begin to walk closer to God and we begin to exercise the spiritual muscles that we didn't realize were weak and we begin to pray and we begin to seek God and we begin to fall back into this love-filled, obedient, spirit-filled relationship with Christ, what we begin to see is that our relationship with him is strengthened. So as the band comes this morning, I want to ask you some simple questions. How is God presently working in your life? What are you facing? What are you going through right now? Is it God's discipline? Might God be not answering that prayer that you've been requesting because he's trying to produce something in you differently than what you would have in you if he just answered that prayer immediately? Might God be allowing maybe a a difficult situation or you to have to deal with difficult people in order that maybe you would become more dependent upon Him rather than upon yourself? How is God disciplining you? Maybe you've got yourself into a bad relationship, a bad situation, and you look back and you go, how could I have made these choices and now I'm in a mess? And maybe God's discipline was just to allow you to make the choices that you've made because of him loving you and giving you this free will. And then now he's using it to say, this is what happens when you depart from me. And now these choices that you're facing and now these circumstances that you're going through, I am allowing you to go through these so that you would turn back to me and understand that my way is better. My way is always best. As your heavenly heavenly father, he is looking at you saying, I love you, and come back home. So let me ask you this question. Are you resisting or are you yielding to God's discipline? Many of you probably not even thought of this. Many of you probably, this is just something that that you don't even think about in your daily walk is maybe God's disciplining me. Maybe it's not just Satan attacking me. Maybe God's allowed this to happen. So are you resisting or are you yielding? And here's my last question is, are you bitter or do you want to be better? Are you bitter or do you want to be better? How are you responding to God's discipline? I pray that you will respond in a way that God understands that you love him and that you understand he wants the best for you. How will you respond to what God is calling you to do? Will you stand with me and let's pray?